mission statement is simple. Uh, we exist to build a community of believers who are passionate about knowing, applying, and proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in Parramatta. Today, we look at the last element, proclaiming the gospel. Um, and in that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the title being Proclaiming the Gospel Boldly. Proclaiming the Gospel Boldly. So if you'd like a title for the message, that is it. If you'd open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, um, we're going to spend some time in Ephesians 6 today and looking at Paul's example. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please put your hand up and we'll give you a Bible. There's Again, like last week, there's a bit of flicking today because I want to build us into different parts and different scriptures. So it's nice to have a physical Bible that you can flick around in and look at what I'm saying and make sure it's there and it's not just plucked out of nowhere. I encourage you to double check. So if you want one, put your hand up and our stewards will get you one. Otherwise, Ephesians 6, toward the back of the Bible, if you knew, sort of that many pages would be left over at the back. And uh, big 6, little 18. I'll move this so we don't fall off the back. Wonderful. So this comes in the context of Paul praying for spiritual protection, praying in the spiritual realm that we actually have a, a Satan that is trying to attack us. Uh, and, and then he ends it by saying this, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Our God and Father, may you bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to take you into Paul's situation as he pens these words. The Apostle Paul, who was saved some 30 years prior on the road to Damascus, on his way to put Christians in chains himself, if not put them over to death, was met by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Eventually, Saul repented. And what did he do? First thing, got baptized, plug for baptism. Uh, and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And God said to him, I have a plan for your life, a wonderful plan. You're going to suffer for my name. You are going to spread the message of the gospel to people you once hated, Gentile people, non-Jewish people. And you're going to tell them about a person you once hated, Jesus Christ, whom you now love. And so for 30 years, Paul went around the Mediterranean on missions trips, spreading the message of the gospel. He went out in all courage and boldness, proclaiming the very same gospel that we proclaim. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. The message that Jesus Christ came from heaven as God's only son, that he lived a life in perfect fulfillment of the whole Old Testament law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the whole law, that he was put on a cross by the Romans and the Jews together, that he died in our place and for our sins, that he was buried for three days. He really died. He didn't just faint. He died. 
And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, he rose up again. He's still living. He ascended into heaven and one day will come again to judge the living and the dead. Paul went everywhere with various people and various missions telling that same message. Eventually, he went down to Jerusalem to try and give money, the money that he raised with the Macedonians and the Corinthians. And he tried to feed the poor and help the Jerusalem church because he felt like it was the duty of the Gentile Christians to give to the Jewish Christians because they were once in poverty. And he talked about we have these duties as Christians. But in the process, he gets arrested by the Romans. The Jews want to put him to death because he keeps preaching this gospel that the Messiah has come and they don't like it. And Paul appeals to Caesar and says, look, instead of going through the court where I'm not going to get a fair trial with the Jews, I appeal to Caesar. Because Paul's desire was eventually to get past Rome and up to Spain because he wanted to preach the gospel some more. And he thought maybe a good way to get there is via Roman escort to Rome itself. He'd never been there. And unfortunately, through one experience or another, he ends up in Rome for two years in house arrest. He's chained to a guard, literally when he says, I'm an ambassador in chains, he's chained. He has a wrought iron chain on his body at all times. But he was in this house, which he had to pay for himself. So he was, he was not like an Airbnb, but you know, he was in chains. He had a house that he rented himself. And for two years, the apostle, oh, not the apostle, Luke tells us uh, that people came to Paul. And Paul, in these two years, would keep preaching the gospel. The Jews came to him. He preached the gospel to them. Visitors would come. Slaves would come. He'd preach it to the slaves. The Roman guards who were on duty every six hours swapping over, he'd preach it to them. Paul couldn't be stopped in his gospel proclamation. And he's about to, or he hopes to, stand before Emperor Nero. And he's hoping that he can preach the gospel to Nero. He's hoping that he can represent Christ well to Nero. And what's going through Paul's mind as he considers all of this? Well, remember, this is the same Paul who has been through all of this suffering. This is the same guy who was once stoned, they thought, to death in Lystra, And the disciples gathered over him and he got up, maybe resurrected or just healed. And what does he do? He walks back into the same city that just stoned him. So this is that guy. This is the guy that wrote the letter to the Romans. If you've ever read that, it's one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. Probably the most important book in all the Bible. This is that guy. But what does he need? Well, let's read those verses again, verse 19 to 20. This is what he needs. Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I don't think Paul struggled with boldness in general or with clarity, but Paul recognized that he needed help. He couldn't generate boldness or clarity of speech on his own. And so he petitions through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Ephesian church and all who read it, to pray for him. He needed boldness. And my guess is, is that 
we are in just the same position as Paul. We know we have this great message. We know we're meant to share it. We even desire to share it. Some of the most exhilarating parts of our life is when we get to tell other people about our King, Jesus Christ. But there are also some of the most, you know, anxiety-producing times as well. Nothing can make us more stammering in our speech or conflicted in our hearts than the thought of telling someone about Jesus. Recently, when I was in the US, I was meeting with CJ Mahaney, who helped found Sovereign Grace Churches, and he wrote a great book called Humility. It's a wonderful book. Um, it's been a virtue of our churches that we've tried to pursue. It's a virtue that we've tried to pursue in this church. But he said, if I was to write another book, and I keep on emailing him saying, write this book, he would write a book on courage. Yes, we're not meant to move on from humility. However, the need of the church today is not so much to go down from being arrogant and telling people what to do. It's actually the need for the church today is to stand up for truth and be bold to speak confidently. You see, when Paul asked for boldness, that word in the Greek means to be able to declare openly, especially before authorities, and with courage, the truth that you want to proclaim. A good example of boldness in a negative sense is last night. The, the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras down on Oxford Street. I've turned it on just to see what it was like on the ABC News um, last night. And there is boldness in what they're doing. Openness. Uh, they are flaunting what they love. And they kept one of the constant refrains was, I love being queer. And they sort of quavered when they said it, but there was this sense of like, finally, I can stare down a camera and say to everyone, this is who I am. This is what I love. This is what I believe. And friends, although that's not how we would want to see that expressed, that is a good example of the boldness, the, not the carefreeness, but the overcoming of fear to stand to people that we love and know and to have them look at us and say, this is what I believe. These are the truths that represent me. And my hope today is that this message and the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit will help us to boldly push through our fear so that we would be passionate to proclaim the glorious gospel. My, we can't get rid of the fear, but my hope is that by the power of the Spirit, we'd have boldness to push through the fear, stare down the lens, and proclaim the gospel to our family and friends. I've got three points for us today to help us achieve that end. Point number one, the need for boldness. Point number two, the barriers to boldness. And point number three, the pursuit of boldness. So let's look at point number one, boldness or the need for boldness. Why would we ever, like Paul, face our fears, embrace the uncomfortable and step out in boldness to proclaim the gospel? Why would we do that? I mean, naturally, that's not, we don't like facing our fears. That's why they're called fears and we stay away from them. Uh, we don't walk up to huntsman spiders and think, today's the day, you're going to be my pet. Uh, so why would we, and evangelism often feels like that. It's like, that's a huntsman. 
There's trained people. They know what to do with Huntsman's. I'll leave it to them. I'll leave it to Andrew Vargordi. I'll leave it, you know, I'll leave it to Richie. I'll leave it to those guys. No, okay. Here's three reasons why boldness is needed. Boldness is needed because, number one, the lost are perishing. The lost are perishing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells that anyone who dies outside of Christ, well, actually everyone, will one day have to face judgment. 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions in our land will someday die, everyone we know, and every single human being will have to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for their life. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 of unbelievers and those who aren't yet saved, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The Bible doesn't mince words about unrighteousness. And that was all once us before we were in Christ. Those who do such things deserve to die. Sin before a holy God brings the penalty of death. And not just physical death, but a spiritual death that outweighs any suffering we could ever imagine physically here on earth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 to 9 says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, the thing that we so long for, this will also happen. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Friends, the lost are perishing. They will be held in judgment before Christ. They will be held accountable for their deeds, just like we would have been. And their punishment will be the vengeance of the Lord of hosts will be against them. And they will be separated from any goodness for all eternity. So why do we need boldness? Well, we need boldness because the lost The lost are perishing and going into eternity without Christ. And so often my heart is cold to that truth because it's so uncomfortable. Secondly, we need boldness because gospel love compels us. So the lost are perishing and gospel love 
compels us. We were once facing that eternal destruction, yet Jesus came and died in our place and for our sins and God sent the Holy Spirit into your heart so that you would cry out, Abba, Father, and instead of meeting God in judgment, you will meet him in reward and joy. And the same love that purchased you ought to compel you to go out and share it with others. In Matthew's gospel, we get this beautiful picture of the Lord's heart for the outsider and the lost. Jesus went throughout Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. See that word, proclaiming the gospel, the good news, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus has a heart for the lost and the outsider. He wants us to go out. He calls us to pray for laborers and to pick up our tools and join in the work. And gospel love compels us to be a part of the mission. Thirdly, Boldness is needed because the Lord Jesus Christ has commissioned us to the task. This is not a task for the experts. This is not a task for those so-called evangelists. This is not a task for those who find it easy. This is the task of the church, every single one of us. If you have the Spirit of God, you have been called by Jesus Christ to go into all the world and make disciples. A different Great Commission verses, Luke 24. When Jesus had appeared, he, he miraculously appeared in the middle of a locked room with the disciples and said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, which is what we need every time we read the Bible. We need God to open our minds. And he said to them, Thus it is written. So the Old Testament proclaims, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you, the 12 disciples or 11 at this time, are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Jesus' mission is to not just terminate with those 11 disciples and just save those 11. No, he has a blood-bought people that he had in mind on the cross, a certain elect over the course of the earth, over all history, over all lands that he wants to see saved. And he sends out the 11 to get the job started, but they never finished it. If Jesus' plan was to take the gospel to all nations, well, then no disciple ever made it to Australia. I don't know of any story of, of uh, John or Peter or, or any of the boys getting on a boat and making it here. And so therefore, the implication is, is that this wasn't just for them. It's all of our task to take it to all nations, to all peoples. In John's gospel, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The way it works is that some are called to go 
and some are called to stay. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit falls upon them as they're praying and he sets apart Paul and Barnabas in the Antioch church and says, you go. So Paul and Barnabas go and they go and spread the gospel. We read Acts 13 and 14, the first missionary journey. It's amazing. Island to island, city to city, preach the gospel, people are saved, build a church. Then they go back through, appoint elders and they care for them. That, that's their pattern. So some are called to go. Some in this church are called to leave Parramatta and plant other churches. Some will be called to leave this church and go to other nations. Some are called to go, but not everyone is called to go. Some are called to stay. The whole Antioch church didn't go on mission. No, two went and the rest stayed. <laughs> and the church remained the church there in Antioch. And every church that they preached the gospel at, well, they stayed. Otherwise, there'd be no church in Derby or Lystra or there'd be no church in any of these places. So not everyone has to go. Some are called to go, some are called to stay. And it's the same for our church. Some are called to go, and I, I pray for the day when we're sending out missionaries, and we're sending out church plants. But most, most of you, 98% of you will stay, yet you're all called to the same mission. Each one of us is called to make disciples in and where we are. It's our duty it's our opportunity. There's a need for all of us to be involved. It can't just be up to a few select people. Like in wartime, you need everyone, the whole nation involved. And yes, there's going to be cost. Yes, it's hard to share the gospel. Yes, it's painful. And we'll talk about that in the next point. But we can't have anyone drop their weapon or not participate. In the book, Band of Brothers, uh, there's lots of moments where you get correspondence from soldiers back to their, their home. And in some, one such correspondence, there's a, a private named Webster who got injured early on, was in it, wasn't in the battle, had the opportunity to stay in HQ uh, and not be on the front lines. But he so desired to be part of the battle and part of the war that he, he left the safety and security of HQ in England as an American soldier and went into the front lines. And his parents were rightly concerned. They're like, mate, you could, have, you could have not done that and you could have lived. But he writes this to his mum. Somebody has to get in and kill the enemy. Somebody has to be in the infantry and the paratroops. If the country all had your attitude, nobody would fight. Everybody would be in the quartermaster. And what kind of country would that be? Would you prefer for somebody else's son to die in the mud? You would want us to win the war, but you apparently don't want to have your sons involved in the actual bloodshed. That's a strangely contradictory attitude. We want to see the lost saved, don't we? We want to see those who don't know Christ come to know Christ, but we don't want to do it. <laughs> And there's a contradiction there. Christ has called us to be part of the mission. And so it's all of our duty to play our part. So friends, boldness is needed then because the lost are perishing. Boldness is needed because gospel love compels us to do it. And boldness is needed because the Lord Jesus has commissioned us to do it. It's our calling. It's hard. And therefore, we need boldness to step out and actually do it. Now, we know these truths. There's probably no, there's no news to us. Um, it's like, duh, I know it. So what stops us from doing it? What holds us back? Well, at least a point to 
the barriers to boldness. The need for boldness, the barriers for boldness. I think there's so many things. I mean, we could go the rest of the sermon just talking about the barriers. Um, I actually interviewed my life group. I sent out and to the deacons, I just said, hey, what stops you from sharing the gospel? And there were so many answers. It was really encouraging, uh, <laughs> including my own answers uh, as part of it, because it's so hard. But I just want to kind of summarize them into three. Firstly, number one, it's scary, isn't it? <laughs> it's Scary. The number one thing that was traced through all the answers was fear. Some seem to be fearless, but 99% of us are terribly afraid of doing it. 99% of us, myself included, start getting like, uh, uh, like real nervous. In fact, I was just on a plane to America and I, I changed seats and I ended up sitting next to this Sikh lady and we're having this great conversation. She was very open. Um, she was, you know, we were 14 hours, you know, in and out of conversation, chatting about faith. And, but I knew in about half an hour, we're all going to get off this plane. I'm never going to see you again. She's open. She's seeking. And I'm like... And suddenly, we'd have been having this nice conversation. I'm a minister, so it's easy to talk. And, uh, but then when I'm like, I'm going to give her a tract, because I'm never going to see her again, and I want to tell her the gospel, and I don't have a chance to do it now. So I want her to have something she can take away and read. Suddenly, I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh. And I went up to my bag, and I got out of my bag, and I put it in my pocket, and I'm like, <laughs> I feel so pathetic, but I'm just, I'm like, oh. And now I'm like, no, I can't chicken out. I've got to do it. 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 So the next half an hour as we're sitting, plane's descending. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Eventually, I got there and I said, look, I know we've been having all this discussion and I thought this might interest you. Um, it, it just explains what I believe the Bible teaches about the gospel. Boom. Okay, that's all. <laughs> I'm with you. If you find it scary, I find it scary. What are we afraid of, though? Well, there's so much to be afraid of. The pain of rejection. We're afraid that we tell someone this message, well, it's going to break the relationship. It's going to cast a vision between us. And do you know what? It really might. Jesus said when he was commissioning his disciples in Matthew 10, he said, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my namesake. You may, it's a real fear because Jesus said it's probably going to happen. If you try and make disciples, you will be rejected and hated and in some parts of the world, those verses ring true. You may even be delivered over to death. It's a real fear. Don't think that it's your method of communicating the gospel that's causing division. No, no, no. It's Jesus' fault. It's his fault. He said it's going to happen. So when you get rejected or things go wrong in, in your trying to make disciples, you can, in a sense, feel relieved. Because actually, it was Jesus that said that's what's going to happen. He's the one that divides not you. Secondly, we, we, we fear feeling unqualified. Like, I don't have the right answers. Uh, 
we feel like we're not going to be able to be a good representative. We're not an expert in what we know, so we're, we're afraid we're going to represent Jesus badly, so we just keep our mouths shut. Or we feel unqualified in that we, we feel like, oh, if I start saying things and they push back, I won't have the answers, and that'll make me doubt my own faith, and I'll be in a worse place than when I began. That does happen. That's a real fear. We fear failure. There was an old Barna uh, research group survey that said this, one dominant reason underlying the increasing reluctance of Christians to share their faith with non-Christians pertains to the faith-sharing experience itself. In asking Christians about their witnessing activities, we found that nine out of ten individuals who attempt to explain their beliefs and theology to other people come away from those experiences feeling as if they have failed. Does that explain you? 90% of the time, we feel like we've failed. They go on to say, the reality of human behavior is that most people avoid those activities in which they perceive themselves to be failures. As creatures seeking pleasure and comfort, we emphasize those dimensions and activities in which we are most capable and secure. Thus, despite the divine command to spread the word, many Christians redirect their energies into areas of spiritual activity that are more satisfying and in what they are more and where they are more likely to achieve success. <laughs> Isn't that so true? If you feel like you're going to fail in it, we don't like failing, so we avoid it. But we don't want to be like lazy Christians, so then we do lots of other things, and we, we get on serve, and we do this, and we pray, and we meet with people, and even we give. We're like, I'll give. I'll, I'll be a giver. I'll give. I'll, I'll give to mission. Even I'll give to mission, and that's great. Keep giving to mission. Go forward, fun. Do it. But... Because we feel like we're going to fail, we avoid actually being a part of it. But take heart, friends. In our fears, Paul recognizes them. He needed courage too. That's why he prayed. Pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. It's scary. Therefore, we need boldness to push through the fear. Secondly, it's awkward. These are another barrier. It's just awkward. The, the, the seriousness of the gospel cuts against the frivolity and even just the routine of normal daily life. Often I sit outside on my deck and have a coffee and read my Bible and I just see the sun shining through, my beautiful buffalo grass and my jacaranda trees and people walking past with their dogs, so happy, so joyful, so carefree. It's so disjunctive to interrupt someone's peaceful life. They seem to be just doing so well without Jesus. They seem to be doing so well without daily Bible reading and prayer and so well without church. And then to, to come into that and just launch the gospel into someone's life, it's, it's awkward, isn't it? it? It's just so serious. And unless someone's going through a tragedy, a trial, it just feels such an unripe time to do it. So that's often why we don't do it. It doesn't feel urgent. There's more urgent things in our lives. They seem to be doing fine for now. And I know the eternal realities, but right now I just don't. Uh, it's awkward. So we avoid it. Thirdly, we avoid it because it's difficult. It's actually not easy. 
I don't find it easy to share the gospel. About a year or so ago, I, I, was, I think I just preached a message like this. I was all read up, ready to go, go preach the gospel, sitting there at a table with one of my mates. And I just said, has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? Because Maddie, my wife, always says, well, we should just ask people that. Has anyone shared the gospel? I'll just do it. Okay. Has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? He's like, uh, I, I don't know, I think, but maybe. Why don't you do it? I'm like, right. Here we go. I got about 10 seconds in and suddenly I'm like, I don't even know what the gospel is. And I started at Genesis and I'm like, oh, how am I going to get from here in the next two minutes to the cross without making, and I just, and I I got done. I was about three minutes and I was like, that made no sense. (laughs) And I felt like a failure. Uh, And I don't know if I've asked that question since. And that proves my point. Where, what do we say? What do we say next? How do we actually bring it up? How do we weave it in, the awkward eternal realities, into the normal mundane routine of life? Now, there are times when it's easy. I had a friend call me um, and say, I'm at the lowest point. I'm thinking of taking my own life. I don't know what to do, and I know you're a Christian. Okay, that, that was easier because they're desperate. They need it. But in the normalness, it's just difficult. It's hard. Um, and so we avoid hard things. Uh, and we don't want to get training in it because we actually don't want to do it. <laughs> so we'd be afraid to go to a mission training thing because then we're like, oh, now I know what to do. <laughs> but even Paul recognized his need. Uh, that word boldness in Ephesians 19 can also be translated openness or clarity. Uh, and so it's debated what... Like in the second verse, verse 20, it's definitely boldness. But in verse 19, there's a chance that Paul is actually praying for the right words, praying for clarity of speech. The guy who wrote Romans (laughs) wants prayer to speak clearly. If Paul needs clarity of speech to preach the gospel, (laughs) we need it too. Uh, And so take heart that you're not alone. So... The barriers to our boldness and mission, it is scary. It's awkward and it's difficult. How do we go forward then? If there's such a great need, as we saw, to proclaim the gospel boldly, yet our boldness bubbles often burst so quickly, what are we meant to do? That leads us to point number three, the pursuit of boldness. The pursuit of boldness, point number three. In his great book, which I've quoted a lot in this series, which is in the bookshop, encourage someone to buy it, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. He includes a whole chapter in Spiritual Disciplines on evangelism. We might not have ever thought of evangelism as a spiritual discipline. We think Bible reading, prayer, fasting. But evangelism, he argues, is a spiritual discipline. And he says this, One of the main reasons we don't speak of Christ more often is fear. He grants that. But I'm convinced the main reason that many of us don't witness for Christ in ways that would be effective and relatively fear-free is simply because we don't discipline ourselves to do it. Fear is a big problem. And fear is why we avoid it. But 
Overcoming the fear, his argument is, is that we need to discipline ourselves to do it. We need to organize ourselves to do it. We need to purpose ourselves to do it. We need to, just like we hate going to the gym and the pain and all that, but we go, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. And you bring people involved and you make commitments and hopefully you fulfill them. We have to do the same sort of thing with evangelism. It's hard work. It's a discipline. We have to pursue it. We're very unlikely, even after a great sermon today, even very unlikely to just magically start boldly proclaiming the gospel. Like, it's very unlikely that as you sit on the bus tomorrow, you're just going to be like, has anyone ever told you the gospel? And feel no fear and feel ready for the task or walk into the morning tea room at work or, you know, at the playground at school at pick up or drop off or at the gym. We're very unlikely to just automatically do it. We have to pursue it and discipline ourselves for the task. So I want to give you three small steps. Three small steps to pursue boldness starting today. Number one, the pursuit of boldness begins with prayer. The pursuit of boldness begins with prayer. The first step to becoming a bold proclaimer of the gospel is to follow Paul's worthy example and to pray. Notice he asks the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 19, Pray for me, pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He wants to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, and he needs boldness. And then in case they missed it, he asks again, verse 20, I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Boldness begins with prayer. Praying for yourself. Perhaps you can make it a daily part of your prayer. Oh, it's a scary thought. Because God answers these sorts of prayers. These are, you know, when Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I'll answer it. Oh, guess what? This is one of those things that he will answer. (laughs) But if you pray boldly and you pray daily, Lord, please help me to be bold to proclaim your gospel if you would give me an opportunity today. Pray it in your morning prayer time. Pray it as you leave the house. Pray it while you're sitting on the bus or on the train or in the car on the way to work. Pray it at multiple times during the day. Pray for boldness. And if you're brave, ask someone to pray for boldness for you. And now someone else is involved. And you say, hey, look, I struggle with boldness. I struggle to share the gospel. Will you pray and intercede on my behalf that the God Almighty will give me power through His Holy Spirit to be bold? Now there's two of you praying. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You're going to start doing it, probably. But you'll have power that you didn't know before. Opportunities will present uh, present themselves to you and you'll be aware of them. And you might even step into them by the power of prayer. Number two, so number one, the pursuit of boldness begins with prayer. Number two, the pursuit of boldness is powered by the gospel. By reminding ourselves of the message of the gospel, which I've spoken about multiple times, we're empowered and reminded that it itself is the power to save unbelievers. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, ascension and coming back, proclaiming that simple fact doesn't have to be fancy, doesn't have to be eloquent, doesn't have to be Tim Keller, doesn't have to be you know, great evangelistic. You tell people the facts. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended, Jesus is coming back. You tell the facts, boom, that's the power of the gospel. That's what saves people. That's it. God is, he knows our frame. He knows we're not eloquent. He knows we're not going to get it done. So he makes it simple. You tell people the facts, I'll create the salvations. Do you believe that the gospel message is the power of salvation? Remind yourself of these words. If I tell people the facts, they may be saved. We said before that we avoid things we feel like we fail in. What is success in evangelism? Is it salvation? Well, no. Success in evangelism is evangelizing. Success in evangelism is faithfully telling someone the facts of the gospel. That's success. Because the salvation is up to God. We believe that God is sovereign over salvation. And it it may not be His will. It may not be His plan. But our calling is to declare the facts. And if God would so work, boom, with the declaration of the gospel, hearts can change. Do you remember when you became a Christian? Maybe it was a camp moment and it was eloquent, but maybe it was just in the quietness and the boringness of your home that suddenly the message of the gospel became true to you and you became a Christian. If the gospel was able to save you, knowing your own selfishness and laziness and lust and gluttony, well, it can save anyone. It can save anyone. So remind yourself of the gospel, that actually just sharing the gospel is success in evangelism. And just sharing the gospel, put the word just in inverted commas and brackets and quotation marks, is the power to actually save them. And rehearsing the gospel as well, liberates us from that constant nagging feeling of guilt and condemnation for not sharing the gospel. Reminding ourselves, I'm saved even if I never become a good evangelist. Uh, God's grace is over my life even if I fail in this attempt. Even though I've missed so many opportunities, reminding yourself of the gospel liberates you from that guilt so that you can actually go, well, I failed every other day up until now, but today the slate is clean. And I was once a failure, but but today I'm not marked by my failure. I'm marked by God. And because of the gospel, I can just live as if I've always been a great evangelist from today on. You don't have to live with that shadow hanging long behind you anymore. You're saved. There's no condemnation. If you've been a terrible witness for Christ, you can repent and live with a clean slate today. So the gospel powers us. It powers us because it's the power to save and it powers us because it removes the guilt and the shame that we carry with us in all of our failure to evangelize. And thirdly, the pursuit of boldness requires small practical steps. We're not likely to pack up our bags tomorrow, sell everything and go on a mission trip around the world. 
most of us just need to take a very small directional step towards faithfulness. Most of us need to just take a one small step at a time in pursuing boldness. First step, prayer. Second step, remind yourself of the gospel. Third step, well, we have our little thing that we do in our church called C4. Connect, care, communicate, call. It's a simple pathway to help us remember, how do I take steps in mission? Well, first, connect. You can't spread the gospel if you don't know anyone who's an unbeliever. And I don't just mean be in contact with unbelievers, um, because we live in, in communities, we don't live in a cult, um, uh, we live in neighborhoods, we know lots of people, but I mean meaningful connection. You might be at work all day with unbelievers, but you can't share the gospel on company time. You need to be a faithful worker. So don't take time out of your normal work to share the gospel. No, you owe it to your employer to work hard. Work hard with the time. Make opportunities outside of that time to connect with your co-workers, to connect with people. That's when you're meant to evangelize. You shouldn't really be doing it on company time. I know it sounds weird to say that. Your pastor is commanding you not to preach the gospel. <laughs> but really, you shouldn't. You have a duty. Work hard. But that means you've got to take a small step. Like, okay, how am I going to connect at lunch? How am I going to connect afterwards? How am I going to invite them into my life? How am I going to have friendships with them? We can't just rely on, well, I'm around them and they'll see my example. That's good. And you should be a wonderful example. But we need to take little small steps to connect. It might be you organize a birthday card for them. It might be you bring in sweets for company morning tea, or you, know, you organize a catch-up with mums at school, or at university, you make yourself available. You don't fill all your time with study. You, you, after class, you're like, hey, I'm just going to see who's around. I'm going to connect with them. Now, we could all make a million reasons why we have no time to connect. I've got the best one. My job is to be a pastor, which means my job is to spend time with Christians my entire life. Okay, So I could reasonably spend all my time with believers, never get the job done, and never have time to spend it with any unbelievers. But that's not God's calling. I'm a Christian, uh, and so I need to make time to connect uh, at Little Athletics, at soccer, uh, in my neighborhood. Uh, just last night, we forgot that there was one of our neighbors was having a 60th and they'd invited us and we'd been out from 7 a.m. and it was 7 p.m. and I was like oh no and I was on my own Maddie was at her sister's hands but I just thought oh man this is such a great opportunity to connect showered the kids we walked down we spent an hour with our neighbors met and then right at the end just as I was leaving one of the neighbors said hey what's that church that you're a pastor at and I said oh yeah the Southern Grey showed her on the map could have left it there and then I said but you're welcome to come if you like and she said yeah I would like to I think I will great but it wouldn't happen if I wasn't there to connect wouldn't have happened if I wasn't thinking about this sermon because <laughs> I might have just left it there then we need to care for people we we should be the best people in our office we should be the most loving the most generous, the least gossipy. I know we struggle, but really, Christians, my friends, we're meant to be the light of the world. In our neighborhood, we should be the best neighbors. Uh, so often we fall so far short. We should be moving towards people in care and compassion, not just for the people in our church. We preached on family last week, but for those outside of us as well. Paul says that we are the aroma of Christ. <laughs> but what do we smell like? And it's probably good to think, what do I smell like when I'm out and about? 
fresh coffee and sweet cinnamon buns or moldy soy milk that was left in the coffee basket last You could ask the coffee team about that. Someone left the bon soy in the basket all week last week, and so there was moldy coffee in the basket all week. What do you smell like when you're around others? And then, not only caring for people, another next step is to actually communicate. Yes, we connect. Yes, we care. But the gospel is the power of salvation. Until we communicate the facts of the gospel, people can never be saved. Now, we can start small in connection, in communicating. You can end a sentence with, yeah, I'll praise God, or yeah, it was God's will, or by God's grace, or bless you, you know, uh, bless God, or you can just add in those little things. Okay, start working it in. What did you do on the weekend? Oh, I went to church. Cool. Do you want to hear what I learned? Oh, uh, okay. It feels awkward to say no, so now you tell. And you start working your way up. Start working, okay, uh, what do you believe? Oh, what do you hope in? Or you can then start witnessing your example. You can say, oh, you don't have to, maybe you're not sharing the gospel yet, but you say, well, before I became a Christian, I was riddled by anxiety. I, was, I lived in such fear and loneliness. But then I became a Christian, and although it hasn't solved everything, I now have a church family. I have God as my father, and regularly I feel way more peace than I used to. No one can refute that. That's your experience. And then that might make way for you to communicate the actual gospel and say, well, you know what happened? Jesus died on a cross for me. And I don't know all the details. I can't explain it perfectly, but I know he died for me. He rose again, and I'm going to rise with him and be with him forever. And that just fills my soul with joy. And you can be his follower too. We work our way up bit by bit. Just weave it into your life. Donald Whitney in his book tells this tragic story of a man who'd just become a Christian. And excitedly, he went to his boss and said, guess what? I've just become a Christian. He'd been in an evangelistic rally, like a revival meeting. And the boss said, oh, wonderful. I'm a Christian and I've been praying for you for years. The new believer was crestfallen. Why didn't you ever tell me, he asked. You were the very reason I've not been interested in the gospel all these years. How can that be? The boss wondered. I've done my very best to live the Christian life around you. That's the point, explained the employee. You lived such a model life without telling me that it was Christ who made the difference. I convinced myself that if you could live such a good and happy life without Christ, then I could too. We must communicate. Yes, we must live beautiful aroma-filled lives that are wonderful. And then we add to that the proclamation of the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel without a wonderful life, well, God can still save people, but it's not his plan. He wants us to live beautifully and then speak the words of truth to accompany it. And it comes with, often comes with even greater power. And finally, so connect, care, Communicate, call. Sometimes, after all of this, we just need to ask someone, are you ready to become a Christian today? Will you become a Christian? Will you, what's stopping you from becoming a Christian? What's stopping you from repenting of your sins and believing? Maybe you've preached the gospel so many times. Maybe you've told everyone. But have you actually asked them, will you do it today? And let me ask you, 
It's a room filled with people who may not yet be Christians. Have you become a Christian? Are you actually a follower of Jesus? Have you repented of your sins? If not, then today is your lucky day. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. The devil has tomorrow, Charles Spurgeon said. Because tomorrow we put it off and tomorrow something else will capture your mind. But if you feel the call upon your spirit to become a Christian, come a Christian today. You don't know about tomorrow. You only have today. You don't know about this afternoon. You only have right now. And I call you in the name of Jesus Christ to become a follower of Jesus. Repent of your sins today, lest you perish and meet Christ in judgment. And wouldn't it be the most horrific moment to walk out of this building, to be struck by a car after hearing a message of the gospel, being given a chance to repent and having nothing to say before Christ. Become a Christian today and call those in your life to become Christians around you. Well, friends, it begins with prayer. It's powered by the gospel and it requires practical, small steps to be boldness. We've got to pursue it. It's not going to happen automatically from this sermon. You've got to do it. I've got to do it. We've got to do it together. Life groups this week, for those who are in a life group, they're going to be on mission to help us take practical next steps. Because I want to be a church that is known for pushing through our fears and is passionate about proclaiming the gospel boldly. I want to see this church filled with new and fresh believers, even more people coming to Christ. I want starting point to be just confusing because they know nothing. <laughs> and we've got to start from fresh and, and define everything and take 25 weeks to do starting point because they know nothing. That, that's, I love people coming from other churches and joining our church. I think God uses fresh churches in people's lives. That's wonderful. We love having new people. But I want starting point to be full of fresh believers as well. I want it to be 90-10, not 10-90. Wouldn't it be incredible if this church doubled in size with new believers? Well, this is our calling. This is our charge. No one's going to do it for us. No one's going to make it happen. It's up to us. God has placed you here in this city for such a time as this. He's placed me for such a time as this. And so... SG Parramatta, with the authority of Jesus Christ, I commission you to boldly proclaim the glorious gospel so that we as a church can be a built-up community of believers who are passionate about knowing, applying, and proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ here in Parramatta. May God give us the grace to actually do it. Let's pray. God, we are often so full of fear and we confess it. We fear man more than we fear you. We fear the pain and the sacrifice more than we fear people's eternal loss. God, so often my heart is cold. So often I'm so slow to actually truly love the outsider and the lost. I'm so caught up in my own story. We're so caught up in our own lives and even the life of our church that we lose sight of what is going on. A world that desperately needs you. 
And so, God, I pray and ask that you would fill us with all manner of boldness, that we would push through our fear and actually proclaim the gospel. Help us to connect. Help us to care. Help us to communicate. And help us to call people to you. Help us to overcome our fear, overcome the awkwardness, and overcome the difficulty by the power of your Spirit. May you open our mouths to declare the gospel boldly as we ought. You've made us ambassadors. May we represent you well, oh Lord. We long to. We, your people, long to be your ambassadors to our city because if if we don't, who will? Also, Lord, fill us now with your Holy Spirit that we would be your people, that we would take up the charge and we would proclaim Christ to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.